the book of Acts, chapter 7. I wanted to begin this morning just by asking, who in this room wants to be used by God in their life? For God to use us in a way that our life would make a difference in the life of others. And you know, one thing we look at, there's many different ingredients that come together to be a successful believer and to be used by God. You know, we've talked about many of the different things. We've talked about hunger. We've talked about faithfulness. We've talked about just crying out for God and, and wanting more of Him. But there's a one ingredient, I think, that is kind of the basis of all this and characteristic that anyone that's used of God has in their life. We see this all throughout the Bible. We see... From Genesis to Revelation, people that were used to God had this in their life. We see that people throughout history, throughout church history, through the, the 1500s, 1600s, 1700s, all the way up to now, whether you're talking about Charles Finney, whether you're talking about Amy Simple McPherson, whether you're talking about any person you wanted to mention, even in this century, Oral Roberts in the last century, and um, Kenneth Hagin, all the people in the healing revivals, all the Azusa Street, all these different things, they have one thing in common. And there's no doubt that every person that was used of God, they had this in common, that they had an encounter with God. They met God at some place in their life. They, they had a meeting place. How many know when you meet God, things are going to change? The view from your house is going to look a little different. <laughs> things are going to be different. It's not going to be just... You know, case it's not just going to be just all the way as normal. And so having an encounter with God, that's what, you know, and it's different for every person. Your encounter with God is going to look different than mine. And so that's why the Bible says don't compare yourself one with another because if you do so, you're not wise. Because then I try to compare your life with God and that means... I'm not walking in the, the light that God has for me. There's a different field that my life is in. There's a different place where God says, you stay here. You know, there's a place called there. There is going to be the blessing. There is going to be the provision. It's like this. I heard many people say this before. So nothing's original except one time, you know. But, you know, a lot of people are trying to climb the, the corporate ladder. They're trying to climb this ladder. You know, many times they step on other people, don't they? But be careful about the people you step going up because you might need them coming back down. But a lot of people, they, they're, they're trying to climb the corporate ladder only to realize that their ladder is against the wrong building. You know, if, you, if you're trying to get up there and say, you know what, I'm, I'm here to help somebody and I climbed up the ladder, but you're in the wrong building, I mean, no, it's not going to work out right. You're going to be in the wrong place at the wrong time, and things are not going to work out. <laughs> so this morning, I want to just share for a few minutes about having an encounter with God. Having an encounter with God. Every person should have their own encounter with Him. Look over in Acts chapter 7. Now, we see this passage over in the book of Exodus chapter 3, but I want to read it from Acts chapter 7. 
And we see the great man of God, Stephen, he's rehearsing this right before he's stoned before the people, you know. And, and he, um, he has this great message in Acts chapter 7. And let's look in verse 20. In which time Moses was born and was exceeding fair and nourished up in his father's house three months. And when he was cast out, Pharaoh's daughter took him up and nourished him for her own son. <clears throat> and Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and in deeds. And when he was full 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. I like the way it says that. It doesn't just say, you know, God spoke to him or, or an angel appeared to him. We know that an angel did appear to him shortly after this. But he said it came into his heart to go visit his brethren, the children of Israel, and he saw one of them suffer wrong. He defended him and avenged him that was oppressed and smote the Egyptian. For he supposed his brethren would have understood how that God by his hand would deliver them, but they understood not. Isn't that true today? Well, I thought they would understand the call of God on my life. But you know, there's a... You know, I've heard this said many times. Don't get mad with people because they can't see it. Because that's the call on your life. You know, don't, don't just expect people to appreciate you. And, and man, they're just, they hung the moon and they just, they're the, the best thing since sliced bread, you know. People, if people can't see it, don't get mad at them. They just don't, they don't see the same things you do. So here, Moses had the same thing happen. He thought they'd understand that, hey, God's called me to be the deliverer. And so he stepped out in the flesh, though, and he killed this person. Here comes the next day. He showed himself unto them as they strove and would have set them at one again, saying, Sirs, you are brethren. Why do you wrong one to another? But he that did his neighbor wrong thrust him away and said, Who made you a ruler over me? And a judge over us. Will you kill me as you did the Egyptian yesterday? Then Moses fled at this saying. And was a stranger in the land of Midian where he begat two sons. And when 40 years were expired. So don't think that doing wrong and disobedience won't cost you. Here he is. He's a, he's a stranger for 40 years. For 40 years... Here Moses was, he was built up in who he was, but the next 40 years he was understanding who, he, that, who God was. So God had to work on it for all this time. Don't worry if you're in the back. Who's ever felt like you've been in the back of the desert? You've been in the desert somewhere. It's like, you know, well, good news. God's working something good on the inside of you if you let him. So he said that, that uh, when 40 years expired, there appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai an angel of the Lord in a flame of fire in a bush. When Moses saw it, he wondered at the sight. And as he drew near to behold it, the voice of the Lord came unto him, saying, I am the God of thy fathers. Now, I like the way the book of Exodus always, it also brings us 
thought that he turned aside. He turned aside to see what was going on. You know, the things of God should make you turn aside to take a second look. The way you look and say, it, this gets my attention. This is, this is something greater than me. And of course, he's looking at the bush because he sees this fire, but it's not being consumed. You ever set any brush on fire and it not be consumed? That's a supernatural fire. So he's like, oh, this is a strange thing today. And he goes on and it says, he, he, he draws nigh to behold it, and the voice of the Lord came unto him, saying, I am. I mean, you think Charlton Heston has a deep voice. I mean, can you hear God? I am. The God of Abraham, thy fathers, the God, or I'm the God of thy fathers, the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Then Moses trembled and durst not behold. Then said the Lord to him, and you know, that's the, that's the way you can tell the fake from the real. You know, people just, Chewing gum and yeah, I just saw, I saw an angel today, and you know, an angel met me down there at um, Cracker Barrel, and then and the and the angel ordered a sweet tea and we had a a, a cookie. But you know, when an angel, a real angel of God comes, I mean, your knees are going to have fellowship one with the other, they're going to smote one another, and you're going to you realize that God is in this place. When an angel comes, amen. I heard the testimony once again this week, um, and I've heard it several times. But our pastor, right before COVID hit, he had this experience with God. And it was about two in the morning. He said as he was going to bed, he had this supernatural encounter with God. And he was talking to a, a friend of his in Australia. And he said, How, he, how's it going? He said, not good. He said, it's like the end of days. And when he said that, he said, this fire came around. He said, if it had been any bigger, I would have died. But he said, this fire was about this big, came around and, and right in front of him, he said it lasted 90 seconds, but for two years, he can't even articulate all that happened. And so as he's praying, he says that, that the, this Came, he's like, <sighs> you know, when you're just overcome by the presence of God. He wasn't just like, oh, yeah, Lord, okay, um, you know, this is really awesome, you know. No, he was just, he was overcome by the presence of God. He said it couldn't even breathe. And, and so as he did that, he said the word of the Lord came through him. He said, this is, he said, the end is not yet. I'm sifting my people. I'm getting my church ready. And one of the things he said through this whole experience is he realized the love that the Lord has for his church. He said, I'm getting them ready. Many are not ready, but I'm getting them ready. He said, and then he, he saw his hand went across and, and just moved like he said, like a gauze thing over the earth because he saw the earth right there. And he said that when he did that, it moved across. And he realized what that was was the fear. Not the pandemic itself, but the fear. And he said, I don't care. He said, he said, I the Lord my thy God. He said, I don't care who's in the White House. He said, 
If you would ask me, he said, I care. <laughs> and um, at that time, he said, he said, I didn't, he said, I don't care who's in the White House or this agency or who. And you think about it, the who. He said, I don't care who's in the, the White House, this agency or that agency. You know, it really doesn't matter. God's not shaken by what goes on in, in every government. <laughs> but I said all that to say this. He was overcome. And even when he starts to tell that experience, it flashes before him. And it just, it's, it's an awe. And that's how you know the real. The real brings a, a, a fear of God. When you look in the book of Revelation, John had an experience with Jesus, the head of the church. You know what happened? It said he fell at his feet as a dead man. I mean, he fell out under the power of God. He fell out as a dead man. And so that's what we should have an awe of God. We should have these things are holy. And so here, Moses, he wonders at the sight. God tells him, I'm the Abraham, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses trembled. Then said the Lord in verse 33, put off your shoes from off your feet for the place where you stand is holy ground. I have seen, I have seen the affliction of my people which is in Egypt and I have heard their groaning and come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send you into Egypt. This Moses whom they refused saying, who made thee a ruler and a judge? The same did God send to be a ruler. So if the world doesn't accept you, don't worry. God still is going to send you. And you know, that's the thing. You have to be confident in the plan of God for your own life because not everybody's going to understand it. Not everybody's going to come send you flowers and, and say, you know, we're, we're so happy about what God's doing in your life. <laughs> they may not understand it. And it says, God sent to be a ruler and a deliverer by the hand of the angel which appeared to him in the bush. He brought them out after he had showed them wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and the wilderness 40 years. This is that Moses which said unto the children of Israel, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren, like unto me, him shall you hear. This is he that was in the church in the wilderness with the angel which spake to him in the Mount Sinai and with our fathers, who received the lively oracles to give unto us, to whom our fathers would not obey, but thrust him from them, and in their hearts they turned back again into Egypt. You know, you can turn back in your heart. You can still be in the house of God, but you turn back. You can turn your heart back to the things of the world. And the Bible says in verse 40, saying to Aaron, make us gods to go before us. For as, our, for, as for Moses, which brought us out of the land of Egypt, we don't, we don't know what's happened to him. And they made a calf in those days and offered sacrifice unto the idol and rejoiced in the works of their own hands. You know, that's one of the things too, is they were excited and worshiping because it was something they made. But what happens is Moses has this encounter with God where he meets him face to face. God writes, you know, if you've ever seen that painting, you see like the finger and you see, you know, man and God meeting. And God writes with the, his finger and writes the, the, what we have, the Ten Commandments. And, but it goes on to say, to whom our fathers would not obey, 
thrust him from them in their hearts. They turned back. They made this, this image. They made a calf and offered sacrifice unto the idol and rejoiced in the work of their own hands. Then God turned and gave them up. Do you know whenever you read this in the Bible where it says they, God gave them up, it's never a good thing. <laughs> the Bible talks about God giving people up and to a reprobate mind. And so here it says that God, God turned and gave them up to worship the host of heaven as it is written in the book of the prophets. And it goes on. But see, we see this man whose life is forever changed because he had an encounter with God. Now maybe when we, get, when we stand before the Lord and we go to heaven, I mean, there's, there's a lot of things that I think would be interesting to see. I mean, we take out the virtual reality tapes and, you know, there, there'll be no tapes there. It's just, it's all digital, you know, and, and beyond. God can take that out, though, and show us. And like I heard one man of God say, he said, I want to see this because he said, I believe that when he stood before Pharaoh, he looked in his eyes and there's a flame in his eye. Why? Because he saw that. Because he still had that. And he just, he doesn't say, okay, let my people go. He stands there and says, let my people go. And you look in his eyes and it's just like, oh, you see the flickering of the flame. <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Even one other thing, you know, even as a few months ago, and you know, you, everything you base, you base it upon the word, any experience. But even as our pastor said after having this experience, even a few months ago, they were talking and his grandkids were saying, asking him a question. And he said, I couldn't see it, but it's like I could feel that fire before me. And he said, he said it's the strangest thing. I can't explain it. And so as he, he begins to say something, he said, yes, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. Why? Because you, you minister after, after and with that encounter. Things are different when you encounter him. I want you to turn over a couple chapters to chapter 9 of Acts. The Bible tells us about a man by the name of Saul who became Paul. It says, Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired letters of, to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus. And suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven, and he fell to the earth. And heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? Now, it's amazing because here, here Paul he still saw, he's crying out. And, you know, sometimes people think, well, you know, he, he wasn't, didn't seem like he was crying out for God. But it's usually not the people that are just listless. It's not the people that are just, ap you know, apathy and apathetic. Here he was, he was actually hell-bent on going against the church. But something on the inside was saying, God, are you real? God, are you, are you really real? These people are, are believers in you. 
And so he was, he was getting letters so he could go arrest Christians. And he meets Jesus on the way. And he says, Lord, he says who are you? Who art thou, Lord? So he, he asked the question in the same sense he answered, Lord. <laughs> who are you, Lord? He says, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what will you have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise. So whenever we encounter him in life, one of the first things that's going to happen is we're going to say, Lord, there's always a purpose for it. You know, the, the touch of God is not for entertainment. The touch of God is not just for, you know, it, it really, I remember years ago, there were some meetings that went on when we lived, lived in Florida. And it really just, it, it, I would say grieved your heart, but it was just kind of disgusting. Because some people, they go from, from no God to having God. And then, you know, there's a fine line to where you have fanatical. In excess. Yet on the other hand, I'm like what Donald G said. He was an um, English writer and, and preacher. He said, I would rather have a little bit of excess and fanaticism and God moving than to have and, and fire than to have no fire in the order of a graveyard. You know, I would rather have God moving because then you can channel it. But some people, they'll, you know, they'll do anything at the drop of the hat and they'll drop the hat. And so during this time, though, you had this move of God, these meetings happening, and people just, you know, I think some people, they've, they've smoked too many drugs in their life, and they just, it's affected their mind. But you, you had these people that were on there, and they're just like, they're like doing this, and they're talking about they're smoking the ghost. Talking about the Holy Ghost. I'm just smoking the ghost. And... And uh, I'm taking in, and I mean, they look like they were just strung out on dope. And they're, they're smoking the ghost. How many know that's not the Holy Ghost? You don't smoke the Holy Ghost. You don't inject the Holy Ghost. <laughs> I, think, I think some people need to be on an IV drip of the, the Holy Ghost to touch them. Amen. But that, that, that always just kind of grieved my spirit because, you know, people... It's, it's one thing when people have a herd and they're already leery about the things of God. But then you have somebody that's a nut and they, they come over and then they think, oh man, you know, those people are just whacked out. Well, they were whacked out. There, there's a, a fine difference between the real and what's just, you know, in the Christian life, there's a highway we always travel. When we read the Bible, when we, when we experience God's spirit, there's a highway we go down called truth, and there's two ditches on either side. It's not too good if you go to Bismarck, you try to ride through the ditch. <laughs> well, let's just go across the road and let's get in the other ditch and go down. Just, well, see, that's what, that's what fanaticism and error is. There's two ditches. And so what happens, people get in this ditch, then they come back, but then they go over in this side. That's why we had to live right in the middle of the road, and that's called truth. That's why the Bible says, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed. So here he says, 
he says that the men that journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice but seeing no man. So the Bible tells us every one of them heard the voice of God. They, they all heard it. They weren't, Paul, what's wrong with you? Saul, what's wrong with you? I mean, you just fell off your horse. You okay? <laughs> In fact, he had such an encounter with God as we see his name gets changed. God knocked him so hard, he knocked the S off his name and put a P on there. He had this encounter, and Saul arose from the earth. And when his eyes were opened, he saw no man. So this actually was, I believe, a spiritual vision where he saw Jesus. Because it said when he opened his eyes, his eyes, physical eyes were not open. But on the inside, and there's, I'm not going to go into this, but there's three types of visions. And... Uh, you know, the highest type of vision is, is closely associated with the lowest um, source of revelation. And so what, what happened here is he saw Jesus in his spirit. His spiritual eyes were opened. Yeah. Now, we see other people that had their, their eyes open physically. Then we also see people like Peter in Acts chapter 10. It says he was in a trance. It said that when he was praying, he fell into a trance. The Greek says he fell over bodily. So he fell over. He's in this trance, and he didn't know where he was. You know, if you study church history, talking about people that had an encounter with God, there was a woman by the name of um, Maria Woodworth Edder. I think that was in St. Louis. She was holding a meeting. She was preaching under the inspiration of God. And for all the people that don't think women can be used, God's used many women through the Bible and all th through church history. And what happened is she got up to make a point and she froze for three days. 100,000 people came through. And I'm, we're talking about like way back when. We're not talking about way back in the day. We're talking about before then. <laughs> we're talking, I think this, I don't know if it's early 1900s or 1800s, you know. And so she makes this point and all these people came because she froze and they, they just wanted to see this sight. It's a sign and a wonder. What's a, a sign is something that makes you wonder. And you wonder, what is this? What meaneth this? <laughs> we see that in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Acts 2. What meaneth this? And, and Peter said, this is not, they're not drunk as you suppose. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning, but this is that. So he had to explain what it was. So uh, Maria Woodworth Edder, she's preaching. And after three days... She unfroze and she just kept going where she was preaching. All her physical, you know, she didn't have to go to the restroom. She couldn't, you know, she's frozen. So all those things, they're just suspended and put aside. And so here Paul, it says, when his eyes were opened, he looks and he, he doesn't see a man, but they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus. And he was three days without sight and neither did eat nor drink. And you know, Paul brought much revelation. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. That's not too shabby. And God used him to do that. But how did it start? It started with an encounter with God. It started with him meeting Jesus on the road to Damascus. And you'll, you'll read Acts chapter 26. He recounts all of that. And he says that when we approached, I had this big this light. And it knocked him off his horse. And that was the beginning. And 
you know, the Bible says right here that those three days without sight, he neither did eat or drink. But how many know that he was having some revelation? He was having no telling what Jesus was, was ministering to him at that time. But keep reading here. He says, and there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias? And he said, behold, I'm here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, arise. I want to stop right there. What does this say about Ananias? It doesn't say he's a prophet. He doesn't say he's the chief apostle. It said he is a disciple. A disciple is a learner, a follower. Every one of us are disciples of the Lord. When we follow Jesus, we're a disciple of his. <laughs> and it says here that, that the Lord speaks to him. So the Lord speaks to disciples. He speaks to prophets. He speaks to ordinary people. So what does that mean? That means I can be used of God. If I believe on him, I can be used of him. So he says, Lord, he says, behold, I'm here, Lord. The Lord said, arise and go into the street, which is called straight, and inquire of the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth. So, so Saul was praying those three days. that he, he didn't have his sight. He didn't even eat or drink anything. And Saul hath seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard about this fellow. How much evil he's done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on his name, on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, go your way. For he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much or how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house and putting his hands on him said, Brother Saul. Now, you know, that's the whole message there because... Here, you know, he's questioning the Lord, saying, Lord, I don't know, even know about this guy because he's persecuting the church. But after Jesus spoke to him and told him, it's okay, he's a chosen vessel, he goes up and says, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus that appeared unto you in the way as you camest, hath sent me that you might receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. Now, earlier, we only see the fact he says that you might receive your sight. But evidently, and the scripture doesn't say us, but evidently the, the Lord spoke to him on the way. Right. And so he, he added this and says, and that you might be filled with the Holy Ghost. Jesus sent me that, number one, you might receive your sight, and number two, you might be filled with the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit. And immediately... There fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith and arose and was baptized. And when he had received meat, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus. 
And straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the son of God. But all that heard him were amazed and said, Is not this he that destroyed them which called on this name in Jerusalem? And he came hither for that intent that he might bring them bound unto the chief priest. But Saul increased the more in strength. I mean, he didn't waste any time. He's like, hey, I've been, I've been messing the church up. I, I got to get, get back on this side. And, you know, it's amazing when you look at the, the life of Saul because here he persecuted all these people. But you know what he says in the book of Philippians? He says, he says brethren, I don't count myself to have apprehended or arrived. Even as him having revelation like he did, he said, I haven't arrived at, at Christ's perfection. He says, but this one thing I do, I forget those things which are behind, and I reach forth into those things which are before. I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And he was so in tune that, I mean, we see him saying later, he says, I, we have wronged no man. How can you say that, Paul? Because I forget those things that are behind I've been made a new creation. That man that was on the way to Damascus, he died. And I rose up as a new creation of Christ. So he looked and he said, you know what? I have wronged no man. You know, you can say that in your own life. When the enemy says, do you remember what you did? Like, no, but I know there was an old man that, that did that. There was an old man that did that. Hallelujah. For many of you, maybe some of you were here, a couple of you, when our pastor was here in 2017. But he told this story. We're talking about having encounters with God. Never limit what God will do. Never limit the Holy Ghost. If you read the book of Psalms, Psalm 78, it talks about those that limited and turned back and limited the Holy One of Israel. Well, surely you can't limit God. He's going to do whatever he wants. No, you, God can, can want to do big things in your life, but you can limit him. There was a lady uh, many years ago, our pastor was holding revival meetings. He was in uh, the city of Fargo, North Dakota. And there was a lady that had um, come in the meetings. And I don't know if it was a youth group or what. It was a group of, of people. Anyway, um, people that she knew. And anyway, they're coming back, and she was violently raped. And so, as you can imagine, she was distraught, and she was all torn up. She comes into this meeting feeling like the lowest of the low. She feels dirty. She feels, you know, just like an outcast. The Spirit of God hits her in the service. The anointing of God. That's why we have to have the anointing. We can't just have the word in a good little, little message from the Reader's Digest. But God comes to confirm his word with signs following. This lady had an encounter with God. The joy of God hit her. And as she's there, the Bible, you know, the Bible says... The kingdom of God is not just meat and drink. It's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. As she's there, the joy of God is just flooding over. She's under, that's why we call this, she's under the, the operating table. The Holy Ghost anesthetic. 
as she's there, she feels like that, that the Lord has just got like a big pressure hose just washing over her. And she got up and she realized the fact that someone had gone through something, but it wasn't her. It was like it was another person. But, the, you know, it wasn't me, but it was someone else. Why? Because she had an encounter with God. There, he tells the story of being in another city. I'm not sure where this was, but there was another lady. She was there. This lady had had an abortion. And, of course, she, she just felt just, she felt horrible. She felt, you know, people don't tell you this side of the story. You know, they just talk about, you know, it's your right. But, but when you hear the, the awfulness that it, it creates in people, and, I mean, God can heal anything. But this lady, she's in the service. Once again, under the, the anointing of the Holy Ghost, drunk in the Holy Ghost, as we see in Acts 2, just inebriated, just beside herself. She said she felt like this, the same thing. It's almost like a, a washing and just like a, a pressure hose. But this woman had a vision. Why? Because she was, she was under the spout where the glory comes out. She was in a place where God was moving. She was not just in a dead re religious church or meeting. And so here the power of God's owner, she's out. She has a vision and she sees Jesus, the head of the church. And as she sees Jesus, there's a little girl right there that's running and playing. And this little girl said, Jesus, why is mommy crying? And as, as, as that happened, the Lord went inside her and just, just pulled that right out of her. Never limit what the Spirit of God will do. And so as she got up, she was totally delivered. She was totally set free by the hand of God. And I could tell you many testimonies like that. And so when you encounter him, you never know what's going to happen. I was in a Holy Ghost meeting, minding my own business. <laughs> July 23rd, 2004. If you remember that, that was on a Friday, as Brother Hagin would say. And so, I, you know, I, I drove six hours down from Eufaula, Alabama to Tampa, Florida and minding my business. I was frustrated because we were late and I don't like being late. And so I, as I'm standing there in the meeting, I'm just, I just, I was repenting. I said, Lord, I'm sorry. And I said, and then the Lord dealt with me and said, and I said, okay, I'm sorry for worrying about it. I'm here now. You know, we're, we're here. And I just happened to be in the right place at the right time and Met my wonderful wife there. Eleven weeks later, we got married. Jesus said, what you do, do quickly. So, <laughs> so we got married. And so, of course, he was talking to Judas. But <laughs> So we got married. And, uh, you know, I had, I had an encounter with God that night. And so... We have to put our, that's why it's important 
That's why it's so important people are in church. That people have to be in church with God moving. And we see here that Paul, he begins to preach. He confounded the Jews. Why? Hey, this is the guy that was, that was persecuting the church. And he was proving that this is the very Christ. And after that many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him. So they're already trying to get rid of him. Why? Because he had had an encounter with God. And, you know, this is the thing. A lot of times people, if, something that, if there's something they haven't experienced, they don't have, what do they do? They try to silence you. Why? Because you have something I don't have, and, and there might be something wrong with me, so um, we're going to make it out like you. <laughs> but here he is. He has this experience. And I want you to, I'm going to just turn over to Acts 26. Here's Paul when he's under the defense, King Agrippa. <laughs> He's, he's recounting this story. In verse 13, Acts 26, 13 says this. At midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun, shining round about me and then which journeyed with me. And we were all fallen to the earth. Now, see, he, when he recounts this, Paul says, we all fell down. But he's the only one that saw Jesus. They only heard his voice. But he said, we all fell to the earth. Well, you know, when the, the natural con comes in contact with the supernatural, something's going to give, and it's not going to be the supernatural. The natural has to bow. And it says, when we were all falling to the earth, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Who are you, Lord? He said, I'm Jesus whom you persecute. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto you for this purpose. To see, we don't see this in the earlier passage, but here when he's recounting it, he says this. Number one, to make you a minister and a witness both of these things which you have seen and of the things in which I will appear unto you. So I'm going to appear to you in the future as well. And he says, delivering you from the people <laughs> and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send you. So it's very interesting. What does he say? He says, I'm going to send you to the Gentiles, but I'm delivering you from them right now. What does that mean? I'm delivering you from their influence. I'm delivering them from, from what they think about you, but I'm still going to send you unto to those people. You know, that's, that's one thing you have to keep in mind. God delivers you from the opinions of others. He delivers you from other people that, that, that he sets you on high but then you still go in and you can minister to the people. He says, one, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision. I was not disobedient. In verse 22, he says, Having therefore obtained help of God, I continue unto this day, witnessing both the small and great, saying none other things than those which the prophets and Moses did say should come. That Christ should suffer and that he should be the first and should rise from the dead. 
<clears throat> and then verse 24, and as he thus spake for himself, I love what Paul, every time the Bible says he would speak for himself, he would raise his hand, he would motion. He said, hey, I'm going to speak up for myself. <laughs> but he's, and he says, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you're beside yourself. Much learning does make you mad. But he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak forth the words of truth and soberness. For the king knows of these things, before whom also I speak freely. For I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him, for this thing was not done in a corner. <laughs> you know, God doesn't just do things and, and, and hide things. You know, a lot of people think, well, well you know what? I'm going to let my little light shine. It's a little light, Lord. I'm just going to let it, just a little flicker, just a, just a little bit of a. But you know, God doesn't want that. He wants, he wants a, a big light, big Holy Ghost, big Holy Ghost. You know, I heard a man of God say, saying this. That years before, growing up in Africa, South Africa, he said that, our pastor, he, he said that this man came from Wyoming to South Africa, you know. He said he, he was a cowboy preacher and, and he had boots and, you know, everything. He said, he said, Dad, where's his horse? He said, well, he, he flew in. He couldn't bring his horse. <laughs> he says, where's his six guns? He said, he can't bring the guns on the plane. He said, okay, I still think he's a real cowboy. So he came in, he, he's preaching. So this cowboy talked about being in the, the states like here, Montana, Wyoming, and this Indian chief came with the full headgear on, sits on the front row. He said he's just like this the whole time. And as he's in the meetings, he's doing, you know, not responding. Well, he was there for two or three weeks, and the last night of the meeting, he said, I'm going to pray for people to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. He said that he preached, and, and that Indian chief was the first one up there in the line. He's like, he said, yes, sir. Is it, yes, chief. He said, me don't want little Holy Ghost. People say, hallelujah, hallelujah. Me want big Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. <laughs> He's like, oh, wow. <laughs> so he prayed for him, and, and the power of God came on, and he was filled with the Spirit. But me don't want a little Holy Ghost. I don't want just little Holy Ghost, hallelujah, hallelujah. Why? Because God, want, what God wants to do is exalt. He wants to lift your, your, your life to where you're not just under a little, my little light is going to shine and it's going to be under like a little napkin or something. No, God wants your life to be way up here to where he can shine you. He can just, he can point you. Your life will shine. I mean, you put that, you know, it's not just 100 lumens. It's like 5,000, you know. It's just like, <laughs> and put your life out there to touch other people. And Paul said, he says, Agrippa, I wasn't disobedient to the heavenly vision. He said, this thing was not done in a corner. Then he goes on to say, King Agrippa, verse 27, believest thou the prophets? I know that you believe. Then Agrippa said to Paul, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. 
And Paul said, I would to God that not only thou, but also all them that hear me this day, were both almost and altogether such as I am. Well, except these prison shackles. And when he had thus spoken, the king rose up, and, and the governor and uh, Bernice and they that sat with them, and they were gone aside. They talked between themselves. This man doeth nothing worthy of death or of bonds. Then said Agrippa unto Festus, this man might have been set at liberty if he had not appealed unto Caesar. It's amazing. You see this. So he, he's recounting this, this call of God. He, he is announcing that how God touched his life, and now he's sharing it with them. And he was obedient to what God told him to do. He was obedient to the heavenly vision. That's why we need a heavenly vision. That's why we need a heavenly encounter with God. We need an encounter with him. And what's going to happen is it's going to, just going to touch your life. It's not just going to be you, you have your own revival, but you're going to have revival with other people. That you're going to touch other people. And you're going to, you're going to hook them up to the jumper cables. You know, it's like you, you, got, you got touched by God, but you plug them in too. You plug them in the same way that you got plugged in. Hallelujah. And here's Agrippa, the king, though. He says, almost. I pray that he made it. I pray he made it because here he's in the, in the midst of a man of God. He said, uh, you know, you almost persuaded me. It's a pretty good talk. and um, You almost persuaded me. It's like the, the thief on the cross. It's like the, the show, World's Dumbest Criminals. Like one person said, the world's dumbest sinner. Here you are in the midst of, he's railing on the, on the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And the one beside him says, Lord, remember me. Lord, remember me. He says, today you'll be with me in paradise. You know, sometimes, sometimes even a, a cry out like that in your heart the Lord to come and touch that. Lord, remember me. I remember hearing this many years ago, a song this one guy was singing. Remember me. He said, put me back together. I, I, first time I heard that, I just like bawling, like a, just crying and crying. Lord, remember me. Put me back together. <laughs> That's what he was saying. Lord, remember me when you come in your kingdom. Today, you're going to be with me in paradise. Can you imagine? The Bible doesn't say anything about it. Can you imagine, though, if that other guy didn't, didn't make it right? And he sees the, the other thief in Abraham's bosom? Because the Bible talks about, in Luke 16, about the rich man and Lazarus. That before, before Jesus died and, and rose again, everyone was what was uh, in Abraham's bosom that were saved. They were all in the, the center of the earth. Can you imagine him looking over and saying, I missed out. I missed out. Because I didn't, I didn't know what was right before me. You know, many times that's what people don't realize. Jesus cried over Jerusalem and said, you know, how, how quickly you kill your prophets. He said, you didn't even know the day of visitation. You know, we can have a visitation right before us where God is wanting to meet with us and we totally miss it. 
get occupied with other things. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. And then I want to just, I'm going to close with Revelation chapter 1. Revelation 1, verse 10, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it into the seven churches. And I turned to see that spake with me and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one likened to the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down the foot and girded about with a Paps with a golden girl. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. And his feet likened to fine brass as if they burned in a furnace. His voice was as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. So you know what that light was that, that he, he said he had a a light from heaven shone about him brighter than the noonday sun. That was actually Jesus. That bright light was Jesus Christ appearing to him. The glory of that light. You know what? When we get to heaven, you know what the Bible says? There's not even going to be nighttime. He says that we won't even need light. Why? Because the Lamb, the Lamb of God, He's going to be the light. <laughs> In him is no darkness at all, neither shadow of turning, the Bible says. So he says here, and when I saw him, I sat up and had a conversation with him. <laughs> what happened when he encountered the risen Lord? He says, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me. And this is what every time you see someone have an encounter with God, you see this same thing. Fear not. Why? Because it's, it should scare foolishness. It should scare the flesh. It gets afraid. He says, fear not. I am the first and the last. I am he that lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and the death. Write the things which you've seen and the things which are and the things which shall be hereafter. And he goes on to talk about this. But no doubt that John's life was dramatically changed. Now, he walked with Jesus, but then he was changed. So the, the choice for us today, maybe you're walking with the Lord. Maybe you're already walking. Well, you know, I'm already saved. But is there, the question is, is there more? John walked with Jesus three and a half years. But then he encounters Jesus on a new realm. He encountered him in the flesh, you know, seeing him on the, in the flesh. He encountered him walking with him in ministry. But he encountered him even after he rose from the dead and, and appeared, you know, he walked with him for 40 days. Then 10 days later, we see the day of Pentecost. But this is even after that. And we see that here he appears 
And he's not just little Jesus, meek and mild. He's there as, as the lion of the tribe of Judah. If you read chapter 5, it talks about that. And it says they also fell at his feet as dead. So when you behold him, what happens? You get changed. So here's the thing. Is there more of God that I can have? I'll help you with that. There's, yes, there is. There's much more. That's why the Bible says we go from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Well, I just wish God would do it all at once. You couldn't handle it. I wish God would just show up in the fullness of his glory. You would die. You, you would be a dead man. But what does he do? He just little by little, Lord, touch me. Lord, I'm hungry. And that's where it starts. How, how do I... See, and here's the thing. A lot of people just think, well, you know, revival is just some sovereign move of God. Revival is, is God... See, what happens? God sends revival and revives the church. You know why? Because the church has fallen asleep. Because the church has... has the Bible says, Awake thou that sleepest, and Christ shall give you life. So the church needs to be revived... But then the world is awakened. The, 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 the world can't have revival. They've never been vibed to begin with. You can't revive something that's never been vibed. But when the church is, is, is revived, then the church goes into the world and there's an awakening in the world. We see that through church history, the Great Awakening, 1700s. The second one in the 1800s. But how does it happen, Pastor? It happens because you get hungry. It happens because you get thirsty. Because you say, oh God, there's more. Lord, I want more of you. I want less of me, but more of you. God, I'm hungry. I'm not satisfied. You have to get sick and tired of being sick and tired. You have to get to the place where you just say, you know, I'm, I'm not going to just stay here in mediocrity. I'm not going to just stay here and just like, you know, it's just like, now this is not a phrase. Miss Sharon will know what I'm talking about, so. This is not something I grew up with, and maybe some of you know it, but, you know, I worked with a guy. I never heard it growing up, but I worked with this guy, and I'd always ask him, hey, um, I said, how's it going? He said, oh, fair to Midland, fair to Midland. You know, that's just kind of like, you know, you're not real bad off, but you're not, like, doing real good either. You know, just kind of like halfway. Well, God doesn't want us to be like that, where we just, like, you know, how's your relationship with God? Are you red hot? Well, you know, I'm not going to hell. and But, you know, th things could be better. Well, you know, God wants you to be to the boiling point. And, you know, I preached this, what, two or three weeks ago. And I, and I, I talked about what is your temperature. This week in, the, in these meetings I was in, our pastor preached a message about what is your temperature. What is your temperature? What's the temperature? And, you know, no one can determine that but you yourself. Can you say amen? In fact, just bow your heads for a minute. Only you can see on the inside of your heart what, what the temperature is. And God tells us, Jesus says, I wish that you were cold or hot, but because you're lukewarm, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. I don't want God to spit me out. 
you know, if you ever spit something out of your mouth, you never go back and feel sorry for that. Well, you know, I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have had that in there. But see, that's what happens when we're repulsive to God. But I have a choice today to, to make the, the temperature change just like I can turn the thermostat in this room. But it starts with us having an encounter with Him. So today, as we've been talking about this, if you say, Pastor Will, I've never received Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Friend, the Bible tells us that there's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. But 2,000 years ago, Jesus died on the cross that we could be free, that we could have an encounter with Him, that we could know that we're going to be with Him in eternity. It starts with a choice. It starts with the decision to receive Jesus as a Lord and Savior. Or secondly, maybe you're in this place and you say, I once walked with, with the Lord, but, but you know what? Things came into my life and I, I did. I cooled off and, and things just got to where they got cold. And, and my heart is cold towards God. But as you've been speaking about having an encounter with God, I want to rekindle that flame. I want to rekindle that relationship with God. And I want to come back to Him. Friend, the Bible tells us that the prodigal son, he left his father's house, but he came back to a place of fellowship. Or thirdly, if you're in this place and you say, I don't know for sure where I'm going to spend eternity, but I want to make sure. With no one looking around, if that's you, just raise your hand up and say, please pray for me. We want to pray with you and for you today. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You know, just like we can change the atmosphere in our house we can change the, the temperature on the inside of us we can make a decision with our own will and say Lord I'm going to have more I'm going to be closer to you I'm going to have your fire in my life I'm going to just I'm going to be red hot Lord I'm going to make people up, uh, nervous <laughs> I'm going to make people just not even know who I am because of the, the change on the inside of me. We just have to stir that up on the inside. <coughs> Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Father, I thank you for heavenly encounters. Lord, I thank you that even this week, Lord, that we sh as we press into you, Lord, we shall encounter you. We encounter the third person of the Godhead, the mighty Holy Spirit. And thank you, Lord, that we'll never be the same. We'll never be the same. In Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for encounters of the Holy Ghost. Even now, in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for supernatural encounters. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord, for your fire. Thank you for your mighty... Lord, you said that you would baptize us in the Holy Ghost in fire. So I thank you, Lord, for a fire. In the name of Jesus, Lord, thank you for a fire. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for the anointing. Thank you for the fire of the Holy Ghost. 
the fire of the Holy Ghost. Oh, Lord, we just stir up the gift of God on the inside of us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.